Now, there are a lot of things going on in our world. Some of those things are not quite as serious as, as what we've seen in the news in the last 24 hours from Israel. Uh, there are things we've been talking about, and sometimes, you know, around water coolers or in conversations with family and friends, we talk about some of the stuff that is kind of becoming notable at the time, and maybe some of you who are political junkies, your news junkies, maybe you've just been interested, or you're a historian in American, American history, and you're, you're just caught with this idea that we have this vote against uh, uh, Speaker McCarthy so that the, the Speaker of the House position has been vacated the first time in U.S. history, and that's caused you to have some conversations because, with others because it's just so interesting, and maybe you find politics interesting or the history of this all interesting. Maybe for some of you, uh, it's in a whole different vein. It's entertainment. Maybe you've been just uh, found this thing called the Golden Bachelor to be interesting, and that's what you're talking about with friends and others. And uh, maybe you're a uh, Swifty and you never knew there was the NFL, or maybe you're an NFL fan and you never knew there was a person named Taylor Swift, and they've come into uh, an intersection here with the Chiefs, and maybe you've been talking about that with people, and and you had conversations while you're watching the game with family or friends about it. I don't know. Maybe some of you have caught uh, this groundbreaking shift in entertainment that has emerged in the desert of Nevada with the uh, Madison Square Garden uh, Vegas sphere that has been built. This is, this is the largest sphere structure anywhere in the world. And you can fit the entire Statue of Liberty inside of it. This is a concert venue that can seat uh, up to 20,000 people. It has the largest video screen on the inside. U2 started their residency there last Sunday night with this concert where on that massive screen they had the sunrise at uh, Joshua Tree as they're singing the song and it's just this massive entertainment center shifting entertainment as we know it. On the outside of this big globe that is so tall and stands out on the Las Vegas skyline are millions of LED lights that allow 256 million different colors for each one of those and they can project things. I, I got a little collection of a few of the things that caught my attention just in this video clip. You've got the the, the globe where it's turning and it's becoming night. You've got it as a big basketball. On the 4th of July, they celebrated uh, with just a beautiful display. Now this fall, they can turn it into a jack-o'-lantern. And then uh, my personal favorite is the giant eyeball. I don't know why I like this one the most, but it's just kind of looking around, blinking. This thing is huge on the Vegas skyline, and it is Maybe you've been talking about that. Maybe it's something other that's been in the news that you found yourself talking to family and friends about, colleagues about. I don't know what your discussions have been in the last couple of weeks, but how many conversations have you had about Jesus with family, friends, colleagues that have just sort of naturally been a part of, of who you are and maybe you're caught up in the giant eyeball in the middle of the Vegas Strip in Nevada, but we who are those who've been found by Christ and we've come to faith in Jesus ought to be the ones who are helping other people find Jesus. Today we're going to continue in our series talking about the core values of Calvary and our, specifically in our 2030 vision. And we looked at, as we began this series in the first week we talked about it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Then we talked about God's people delight in God's word. And then we 
talked last week, Pastor Brian talked about life change happens in relationship. And today we talk about found people find people. Found people find people. If you know Christ as your savior, you have been found and you have been celebrated by the angels as as Josh mentioned at the beginning of the service, the angels sing when someone comes to Jesus as Savior. If you want to open your Bibles to John chapter 1, John chapter 1, you can go there and a hard copy of the Bible, you can turn on your device and go to a, a Bible app like I have in front of me here on my iPad. We're going to talk about John chapter 1, verses 35 to 46, as we talk about found people, find people. I want to read what we introduced to you last fall, fall of 2022, when it came to this value of found people, find people, they share their faith, this value of evangelism. We see a church filled with disciples who are energized by the mission of introducing unsaved neighbors, family, colleagues, and friends to Jesus. Because he found us, we will do everything we can to invite people far from God to know who Jesus is and what he has done. Rather than waiting for people to come to us and ask about our God, we will take a proactive approach to telling people about the hope we have in Christ Jesus. We must have the same invitational spirit as the disciple Philip, who after meeting Jesus, found Nathaniel and invited him to come and see. When we found Jesus, we have the spirit of wanting to see other people find Jesus, and we say to them, come and see. If you have your Bible now open to John chapter one, just prior to this passage, we're introduced to John the Baptist, who is the forerunner of the Messiah, and he's, he's announcing the Messiah is about to appear on the scene, and, and he is this voice crying in the wilderness. He's in the desert. He's baptizing people in the promise of the Messiah that is about to arrive and pointing them to him. And one, on one occasion while he's baptizing, Jesus comes walking along and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. He had his own disciples, the people who followed him. And on the day after, he points to Jesus and says, there he is, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. We read in verse 35, the next day, John was there again, John the Baptist, with two of his own disciples. These are people who are following him as he points people to Jesus. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. The day before, he'd said the same thing. Now he's saying to everybody, there he is again. Then the two disciples heard, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of Jonah, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, verse 43 says, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one who Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. That spirit of come and see is the spirit we ought to have 
those of us who know Jesus. We would have the spirit with our family and friends and colleagues to say to them, come and see, see this Jesus. And today I wanna share eight key thoughts in being found people who find people. Some key thoughts if we're gonna say, come and see to others. I'm so grateful for Pastor Brian Howard. Last week he was willing to preach. I was supposed to preach. Uh, He had gotten sick the weekend before and early in the week. I got sick about the middle of the week. My doctor suggested I not work on my sermon or preach that weekend, so I didn't. But uh, turns out I was very uh, well on Saturday and Sunday, and he was, although not contagious, he was still very sick. And so he was sleeping in the back on the floor in between services last weekend. And uh, I was at home watching online saying, this is great. (laughs) But I'm so grateful for Brian and his part in our ministry and his willingness to teach last week. Honestly, I couldn't tell watching at home. I heard all that backstory uh, from text I was receiving and later, but what a great job he did in reminding us that healing through Christ comes through human relationships that we represent Jesus. But also I wanna say, as we were preparing for this week, I was speaking at a conference yesterday in Spokane, Washington, and so, for months on the schedule, he was gonna preach last night this message on found people, find people, and I was gonna preach today. We were both beginning to prepare and he was sharing with me his notes earlier in the week and um, I, I just loved him so much, I'm using his notes, <laughs> quite frankly, because as I was putting it together, I've changed a few things in my own style and saying things a little bit differently, but the core of this, if you listen to Brian last night, we were preaching the same message because I think what he had, the thoughts he put together were just incredible and I just shaped them into my, my own way of communicating a little bit here, but I'm thankful for Brian's part on our team and his teaching voice. It's been of help to me in my own walk with Jesus and even helps in this sermon today. But let me share with you these eight key thoughts in being found people who find people. People who have found Jesus who say, come and see. Number one, the first task of evangelism is to make the message clear. The first task of evangelism is to make the message clear. In our chaotic, confusing world, with the political polarization, with world events, with social media, there's a lot of confusion and misunderstanding. But it's our task in sharing our faith with others in evangelism to make the message clear. John 1, again, in verse 35 and 36, the first two verses. The next day, John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God, there he is, the final sacrifice. As a matter of fact, the day before, he had gone a little further in John 1, 29, he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When we clear with the message we're sharing ultimately with people is the bad news is we are all sinners and cannot save ourselves. We need to turn from our sin, but we also need to turn from our own self-righteousness, our own attempts to be morally right with God. We can't measure up with God no matter how religious or Christian we try to be. It's all through the grace of God that's found in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as people embrace what Christ has done for them. They're forgiven of their sins and given new life in the Lamb of God. Uh, Don't muddy the message with morality. Sometimes we think we gotta tell people all about their immorality before they can come to faith in Jesus or hear the gospel. Don't muddy the message with politics. We confuse people, that we're trying to win them to one party's perspective or another, and we're not. We're, We're seeking to say to them, come see Jesus. Don't muddy the message with theological jargon. 
someone is talking to you about why you go to church or want to know a little bit about your faith or why Christianity is important, why Christ is important, you don't say, well, it'd be important to you too if you'd understand your condemnation and came to your justification so you could go through sanctification then ultimately one day be in your glorification. (laughs) Don't muddy it with theological jargon. Don't muddy the message with secondary issues. We, We get caught up in this area of theology or we think they got to know all about prophecy or they got to know all about the structure of what a church, healthy church looks like or whatever it is, we, get, we muddy it up. We need to go back to understanding what John was saying. Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Go back to the simplicity of how Jesus put it in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This eternal life it begins not just when we step into eternity, it begins now. He wants us to flourish and thrive as we walk with him now. And we have the eternal hope of promise that we'll walk with him forever. He wants us to have both the abundant life and eternal life forever. And he wants us to say to others, come and see. The first pastor that I was a part of out of seminary was just outside of Philadelphia near Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, and served on a staff there and there was a big controversy came up over textbooks at that time, some of, the, some of the similar themes as what we have today. And there was a young mom who came to me and talked to me, and she was so proud. She, she said she met another mom on the playground, and, um, and the, that mom and she were talking, and that mom had no idea what was in the textbooks where her kids were going to school. And so this other mother decided to take the time to explain to her all the controversy around the textbooks and what was going into the textbooks, and uh, she was telling me, and she said, you know, I'm so, so proud I had the opportunity to do that. And I was a little burdened because it was like, well, you're talking about all that. So I said to her, and I've said this to other people who've approached me with a similar approach, telling me how proud they are of how they proved something or argued something in the politics or the culture of our day. And that's, they think they're a success. They can say, I did what I'm supposed to do for Jesus. I just looked at her and I said, well, after you talked about all the stuff in the textbooks, what did she think about the gospel? And she looked at me and said, I didn't have time for that. Some of us miss what we're supposed to be about here. We're not supposed to solve all the cultural issues, all the political things, all the moral things of our culture. We're supposed to say, as we see these disciples doing when they go, Andrew gets his brother and Philip gets Nathaniel, come and see. Come and see Jesus. Who it is that has changed my life. He's the Messiah. Come and see. Secondly, the second key to being found people, find people is our church must create space for people to investigate Jesus before they become disciples of Jesus. We need to give people space to just come and investigate. We have this mindset that people can't come, can't show up at a worship service, can't be a part of a small group, can't be a part of a ministry in any way until they have all the answers and everything figured out. And I'm not talking about leadership or teaching, I'm just talking about people being able just to be present and to investigate Jesus among us as a church, as a congregation. John 1.37 says, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. When John said, behold, the Lamb of God. Oh yeah, that's the guy you said takes away the sin of the world. You told us you're appointed to him. We're now following him. And they don't know all the, the answers or all even the questions they're going to ask, but they're going to follow Jesus. We should expect questions from the people, our neighbors, our friends, our colleagues, that we say, 
hey, let me just tell you how God's impacted my life. Let me tell you who Jesus is. Come and see. We should expect doubt. Don't be defensive about it. A man walked up to me after the nine o'clock and he, he came up and he said, you know, I, I'm just struggling with that Jesus is the only way. I said, oh, that, that's a great question. Let's, let's have a conversation. And uh, he looked like, wow, he's surprised that I just didn't shout back at him or just recite verses back to him. We could have a conversation about this. We should expect complicated stories. That first pastor that I was in, I remember we had a man who had accepted Christ as Savior and he lived in a trailer court and he lived in a trailer here with the, the, the woman he had an affair with. He had then married her. They had children. And across the street was his ex-wife with the children they had in their marriage. And he legitimately just said to me, uh, should I divorce the woman I had an affair with and be with the woman I first was with? And I remember trying to figure that out and, and the senior pastor wisely said to me, there are some things of life that the stories are so complicated. When people come to Jesus, it doesn't get all straightened out until we're in heaven. We worked that through with him and talked it through with him, but it was a complicated story where it could have scared people and said, we're not gonna deal with this because this is too complicated. We all have complicated stories. We should expect complicated stories. We should expect sinful behavior. Why are we surprised that people who are just trying to investigate Jesus are hungry and thirsty for Christ and they come with sin in their lives and things that the world's told them is okay? We don't have to correct all that for them just to investigate Jesus. The Spirit of God will do the change once they receive Christ in his time and in his way. We should expect misunderstandings where people aren't gonna get it and they're gonna ask more questions. It's gonna raise more doubts and their lives might get more complicated and then it leads to more misunderstandings. We should expect rejection. There's some people who will just walk away. But even in the tone of which they walk away after investigating Jesus in our midst. I've, I've known people who have been with us in services and in different ways. And they're, they're just trying to investigate who Jesus is before they become a disciple of Christ. And, and they finally just reject and walk away. And three or four years later, they show back up. Because our spirit wasn't harsh toward them but kept things open to keep the conversation going. In our individual lives, we, we gotta make sure we understand some people are gonna reject and don't get all upset. Don't turn your back on them. Keep the doors open. Who knows what's gonna happen in their lives when they come with more questions. There's a proverb, Proverbs 14, four says, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. In an agricultural society, if you want to survive as a family, maybe you had some crops you grew, but you also need some livestock. You can have a very clean barn without any livestock, but you're not gonna accomplish anything. Everything can be neat and tidy, but if we're really going to be a church that is, is about found people finding people, it's gonna get messy. Friday night lights are ministry to high school students after Friday night games in our community. Kids come from a couple dozen high school settings from nine to midnight. There were 1,100 of them here Friday night. How'd you like 1,100 high schoolers showing up at your house between nine and midnight on a Friday? It's messy, but it's worth the mess. It's worth the mess. Thirdly, the questions you will ask determine the quality of the conversation. The questions you ask will determine the quality of the conversation. So they start following Jesus. He turns around and sees these two guys following him. It says, it says, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? 
What are you guys following me for? Now we know he knew as God, the son, he, we've seen that in many occasions in his story that he already knew, but he wants them to verbalize. We need to think about questions that will help people verbalize what's in their heart, what's in their mind, and giving them space to ask questions that are even uncomfortable for us, or don't make sense to us, or we have a political reaction to, we have a, a moral reaction to. We gotta be willing to give people the opportunity to ask questions, and, and then, it may be something so simple as, what are your thoughts on God? If you start talking about faith or Christianity or where you go to church, something comes up, just say, hey, what are your thoughts on God? And let them express themselves. Don't just immediately say, wrong. Matter of fact, one of the things Jesus did a lot was when they asked him a question, he responded with a question. So, so not only just something so simple as, what are your thoughts on God, but responding to questions with validation and a question helps. I've had people ask me really crazy questions, even not just as a pastor, but neighbors and others just talking about faith. And I'll say, you know what? I can see why you're asking that question. That's a valid question. Just validating that their question is, is okay and it's not, it's not gonna close down the conversation and then maybe respond with a question that helps them think and helps you think. Fourthly, if we want to be found people, find people, we have to remember Jesus invites us to come. Actually, before we can even help other people find Jesus, we have to know and have received his invitation that he gives to us. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. Come and you'll see. Follow me. Maybe you've heard us talk here at Calvary over and over again about how we, 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 the bad news, we're all sinners, is so true, but the good news is Christ came, he died, was buried, and was raised for us so we can have a relationship with God now and forever. Part of the bad news is none of us can be good enough, clean ourselves up enough, so we have to repent not just of our sin or turn from just, not just our sin, but our own self-righteousness, our own self-justification from the image of who we are and turn to Jesus. It says, come and you will see. Jesus first invites us to come and see. And as we come and see and we learn, we hear that this is a lifelong commitment to Christ of all that we are in this life and the next. We're committing to him. This is about an invitation that comes from Jesus to come and see. It's, it, it starts with that. But Jesus finally invites us to come and die. In Luke 14, in a similar conversation, he says to those who are investigating him and are thinking about following him, he says, listen, you turn your back on everything in your life ultimately and that your sole commitment is me even to the point you're willing to give up your life to die and take up your cross. Brian said this last night and I just love this thought. Jesus makes the door wide but the bar high. Everyone may come and we only come through Jesus but you'll learn as you come that he's gonna say, you gotta be all in, trust in me even if it means you lose your life. Let me say to you today, you, you may think Christianity is a good thing and there's some positive things about it. You might want other people or you like what you get here at Calvary and you might invite other people to join you uh, here. But before we can invite others, we who are lost, we're all lost from the time we're born. We're lost until we find Jesus as our savior where we turn our trust into him and what he's done for us. If you haven't done that, do that today. I'll be in the lobby, I'd love to chat with you about this. We can have someone else open the scriptures, sit down with you. 
Our care and prayer team come down front after every service to pray over any need you might have, but they're willing to talk to you about what it means to know that you were once lost, but now found in Jesus. If you're joining us online, you can just get out your phone. Even if you're in the room, you can do this, but if you're joining us online, you can just text the name Jesus as the message of the text to 58568, the number below me on the screen. It's just a way to say, hey, I today am putting my faith in Jesus. And if you have questions, what we follow up with, we'll give you an opportunity to ask questions. We'd love to have that conversation with you. We'd love to celebrate with you that today's the day you came to Jesus. The invitation comes to us first. You see, he says to them, come and see. Now look what happens. Once they come and see, now they can talk about Jesus and what they've enjoyed about him. That's the fifth key for found people to find people. Let's talk about what you enjoy. We, we talk about politics if we like politics. We talk about sports if we like sports. We talk about our children and our grandchildren. We talk about this or that, the things that are important to us, the things we enjoy in life. If we're followers of Jesus, we ought to be able to just naturally talk about Jesus with other people without being uh, insulting or condescending, just talking about what we enjoy. In the last part of verse 39 uh, through verse 41, we read, so they went and saw where he was staying. He said, come and see. They went and saw. They spent the day with him. One day with Jesus, and they're enjoying this, it was about four in the afternoon. They've been together all day long. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, Simon hasn't met Jesus yet. Andrew was the one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we've found the Messiah, that is the Christ. He goes to Peter. He says, Peter, I gotta tell you, I just had the best day of my life. I met Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. You gotta come and see. This is just talking about God. Just talking about your relationship with God, what Christ means to you, how Christ is changing your life. It's, it's talking about God naturally. There's some people who come up with all kinds of ways to start conversations that are faith-based kind of conversations with people, and those are wonderful. Some people will wear a pin or somebody wears a, a necklace. They hope someone will make a comment about it, it opens a door. There's nothing wrong with those things, but we gotta be careful to just when we force ourselves into conversations with people, there are opportunities that come up naturally with coworkers and friends where we can just talk naturally, organically about how important God is in our lives, how important Jesus is to us. Talk about what you enjoy. Sixth, we must believe Jesus is good news for those we love. We must believe Jesus is good news for those we love. And he, Andrew, brought him, Peter, to Jesus, we read in verse 42. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him. So, Andrew brings Peter, Jesus and Peter meet for the first time because someone who was found went and found Peter, his own brother. So you've got Jesus finds Andrew and Philip. Andrew and Philip find Peter and Nathaniel. And it supports this concept, this core value of 
Found people find people. It's a natural part of finding Jesus is you want to tell other people, the people you love, the people in your family, your children, your grandchildren, your siblings, your parents, you want them to know about Jesus because you love them. If you knew there was a doctor here in Thousand Oaks who could cure any form of cancer and that doctor cured your cancer, wouldn't you tell anyone you love and even people you knew who were battling cancer about the doctor who could cure, could cure every cancer? That would be a wonderful thing and maybe someday there'll be a doctor here in Thousand Oaks that gets that breakthrough. I, I don't know how that's all gonna go in terms of the battle of cancer that humanity has faced. I know we've made a lot of progress, but even greater than that is we all have this problem of sin and a broken relationship with God. And when you find Jesus, when you find Jesus, you have hope, you have life, you have peace. Even in the midst of this chaotic world, you can share that with others. You know, if you look at the cross over to my right, your left, if you're in the room, the cross that's hanging there is a hollow cross. Over the last 10 to 12 years, we've put thousands of names. There might be 10 to 15,000 names inside that cross, I don't know. Some of you remember the names of brothers and sisters or parents or a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a colleague that you wanted to see come to Jesus and you put their name in that cross. And I meet people in the congregation in the lobby regularly who say, you know what, every, every week we come in while we're singing the first song, I look over and I pray for the people's names I put in that cross that they come to Jesus. About six weeks ago, a guy came to me and he said, hey, probably seven or eight years ago, I put my brother's name in the cross along with his wife and they live back east and a couple of months ago they were invited to go to a church and that first Sunday they went they actually received Christ as Savior he said to me pastor if we can get my brother and sister-in-law's name out of there I said no we're not going to do that believe me <laughs> it just opens at the top and we just keep stuffing them in it's to be a visual reminder of us that cross not just of Christ crucified but that we get to be the people who are a part of introducing others to the hope of Jesus. And some of you may go back and remember in the warehouse days, there were names on the wall. And they were on that wall, you'd write a name on there and you prayed that those names would come to know Jesus as Savior. You can see pieces of that in the lobby. We have it there just to be a reminder of that incredible milestone. Some of you saw those names you put on the wall, come to Jesus, neighbors, friends. What a wonderful thing. Well, today, maybe there's someone that you love dearly that you want them to see Je come to see Jesus as their savior. We've got cards on tables in the lobby. These cards just uh, are a prayer. Father in heaven, I pray that the following people would, would come to Jesus. And then on the tables there in the lobby, you have those cards and a box. And you can put several names. You can put just the first name. God knows the last name if you don't feel comfortable putting the last name. And this week, our staff is going to pray over all those cards and all those names, and we're going to add the names of the cross. We'll be praying. And then as you come in and you worship, I just encourage you to pray for the names of the people on the cross. Those are people who are loved ones, people, others, including yourself, have had a passion or desire to see them come to Jesus. We must believe that this is good news. And it's good news that we want those we love to know and experience. Seventhly, we have not shared Jesus until we talk about Jesus. 
We've not shared Jesus till we talk about Jesus. There are kind of two extremes in Christianity. There's the one extreme that, that just says, I'm just gonna show it, and if anybody has any questions, I'll ask, answer their questions but because of the way I live. Then there are others who, they don't care if they show it or not, they're just gonna get in people's faces and shout Jesus at them. Sometimes at strange times and abrupt times. But actually, the way Jesus does this is he wants us to go through our normal lives, and, and really it's about both. We look at uh, verse 45, the last part of that, and when we ended with uh, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip says to Nathanael, we found him. We have found him. He not only just was gonna show it in his life, the smile on his face, the change in his life that was starting to, 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 to begin, but he wants to share the words. You see, passive evangelism is how you live, and how you live is important. We need to show the reality of Christ. That's the way we talk about being disciples, live in love like Jesus. People need to see it through us, but then there is proactive evangelism. This is what you share, and what you share is, is critical as well. We need to show our faith, but we need to be able to give a reason for the hope that's in us, Peter says. It's both and, not either or. At some point, you're gonna to have to start talking about the gospel. You hear me say it every week. It's, it's about how we're all sinners in need of a savior. Jesus died, was buried, and was raised for us, so we put our faith in Christ to have forgiveness and new life, now and forever. Sharing it, you don't have to have all the answers. Some people say, well, I didn't go to seminary like you did, or that's why you and Brian are around, and others on the pastoral team. That's what you do. No, this is about us as individuals in the spheres of influence, the proximity we have to other people who are lost and need to be found and need to come to Jesus. We've not shared Jesus until we talk about Jesus. Eighth and finally, evangelism can be uncomfortable. It can be uncomfortable. I don't want to paint this as something like, you just start talking about Jesus and everybody just says, oh, Jesus, I, 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 I'm in. No, they're going to have a lot of questions and misunderstandings and doubts and complicated stories. John 1, 46, when, when Philip says to Nathaniel, come and see the one who's the Messiah, he comes out of Nazareth. He's Joseph the carpenter's son. And the response from Nathaniel is, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Uh, those, that's the back hills. Are you kidding me? Nazareth, the Messiah out of Nazareth? And I like what Philip said, come and see. Some people will raise objections to what Christianity has done throughout the ages or they'll raise about this national leader or that person or this pastor that said he was a Christian and, and fell or this person who doesn't live, the, 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 they don't walk the talk they have. What we do is we say, come and see, come and see Jesus. Don't get distracted by everything else. But it can be uncomfortable. Taking the risk grows your faith. Taking the risk grows your faith. Comfort is the enemy of growth. We have this mindset that once we come to Jesus, life is supposed to be comfortable. Actually, the scriptures never promised that to us. Matter of fact, Jesus said things like, if they hated me, they're gonna hate you. That doesn't sound very comfortable. Paul says, whether I have a lot or I have a little, I'm gonna be content because I have Christ. This is not, God does not promise us health, wealth, and prosperity as the followers of Jesus. That's baloney. 
Some people are blessed because God's going to use their success in certain ways. Some people go through all kinds of struggles and chaos and God's going to use that for his glory. That's why Paul said, whether I have a lot or a little, I'm in this for Jesus. And so when you, you take the risk to share your faith, it's going to be uncomfortable. But, but comfort is the enemy of growth. John Ortberg says, the decision to grow always involves a choice between risk and comfort. This means that to be a follower of Jesus, you must renounce comfort as the ultimate value of your life. The ultimate value of our lives as the followers of Jesus is not comfort, it's conformity to the likeness of Jesus through the Spirit of God changing us from the inside out. And when that happens, as we then are saying to people, come and see Jesus, they're gonna see Jesus coming out in us more and more in our lives. Taking the risk of sharing your faith is uncomfortable because it also grows God's family and Satan doesn't want God's family to grow. If you share your faith, somebody just might come to Jesus. God's family is gonna grow and expand. What if you have friends who wanna talk about God but don't know how? It might need you to take the risk to get out of your comfort zone and just talk about what you do know. That doesn't mean you can't come to a Christian friend who can help you answer some of the questions or reach out to somebody on our team to help you. There are resources, good resources and books and the internet to deal with people's objections and struggles to coming to faith. You don't have to have all the answers, just a willingness to say, hey, you're wrestling with who God is and how you, how you relate to God or you're asking those basic philosophical questions of who you are, where you come from and where you're going. Hey, Jesus has the answers and we can share it with them. What a beautiful story this is. And it ends with Philip saying to Nathaniel, I know you, you got some issues with Jesus being from Nazareth, but you come and see. Do you have a spirit with your family, friends, neighbors? Come and see, come and see. You know, we have to go back to the fact we were once lost. And there was an urgency where God sought us to find us. When uh, my son John was eight and my nephew Caleb Troy's son was four, our two families, along with my dad and his wife, uh, went to Myrtle Beach for a summer. It was right in the height of uh, highest tourism time. And we went, after being out at the beach all day, like everybody else did in Myrtle Beach, went to this place called Broadway at the beach, there in Myrtle Beach. It's this huge complex of stores and restaurants. Because once the sun goes down, you can't be on the beach. What are you going to do in the middle of South Carolina? You go to Broadway at the beach and you walk around with tens of thousands of other people, shoulder to shoulder, packed in, walking around this boardwalk thing around a giant lake they've made. And the ladies went one way and Troy and I and our two boys, John and Caleb, and my dad went another way. We went to the playground. The boys wanted to play in the playground and, and they were playing and we were sitting by the entrance and my son John, who's eight, comes up and says, hey, where's Caleb? And we're like, wait, he's your responsibility. You know? We know you're only eight, but this is your problem, not ours. Wait, where's Caleb? And we start looking, we can't find him. He's like four years old. He's really small, even for his age. He's lost in the crowd. I mean, just people just moving shoulder to shoulder around. And just, we look and look, 15, 20 minutes, we can't find him. We're getting, we're just getting just so uh, frazzled. We decide we're not gonna text any of the women yet. 
We don't want to falsely alert them. <laughs> Finally, my dad finds Caleb just looking at some stuff in a store that was a couple doors down from where the playground was. And whew. But we kind of come together, the three adult men and the two boys, and we kind of pinky swear. <laughs> Let's not tell the ladies about this. We're looking at Caleb and, and John and we say, let Uncle Troy, let Uncle Sean tell the women when it's appropriate. Everybody good with that? Everybody's good? So as we're walking toward the women or at some point along the boardwalk and there's a little space where the crowd has opened up, my son John at age eight starts running toward the women shouting, Dad and Uncle Sean and Grandpa lost Caleb for a very long time. <laughs> but I remember just telling the story that kind of the the urgency, the sense of having to find that lost child. God has that kind of passion for the lost. He had it for me, he had it for you. And he wants us to have that same passion for the people around us to simply say to them, come and see, come and see. Can I just encourage you something to pray this week? Here's what you could pray this week. Lord, give me an opportunity to speak to someone about Jesus this week. Lord, give me an opportunity to speak to someone about Jesus this week. I don't mean rudely just push it into a conversation at work or at the gym or somewhere you are in a, in a practice for one of your kids with other parents. I'm saying ask the Holy Spirit to open an opportunity for you to just talk about Jesus, talk about your faith, what God means to you. Just pray that every day this week. See what God does to give you an awareness of opportunities just to say, come and see Jesus. Come and see Jesus. There are a lot of things we can talk about. We can talk about the horrible things going on in Israel. We could talk about a, the house, uh, Speaker of the House position being vacant and a political turmoil over that. We can talk about the Golden Bachelor. We can talk about Taylor Swift and the Chiefs and NFL. And we could talk about a giant blinking eye in the middle of the desert. And some of you, that's what you're going to talk about and Google regarding this sermon <laughs> is the big blinking eye. But don't just talk about those things. Let's be found people who are used by God to find people who need Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the example of Jesus saying, come and see. Of Andrew, Philip saying to Peter and Nathaniel, come and see. Help us to have that same spirit toward the people around us in our lives. We, we pray, Father, you'd provide mightily in the pumpkin patch for our partner in Uganda. We pray, Father, for what's going on in Israel, that you, Lord, would bring peace. Father, we pray for opportunities we'd have this week and give us an awareness of opportunities just to say to others, come and see Jesus. Lord, use us for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.